Welcome to the Appalachian Folklore Podcast, a wild hike through the history and migration of the folk culture, stories, traditions, and hates hidden in the hills and hollows of Appalachia. I'm your host, Aaron Bobbitt. Hey folks, welcome to this month's episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. I hope you had a wonderful Samhain, Halloween, All Hallows, and are enjoying the Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos today. This month's topic is on death omens in Appalachia. I thought it would be an appropriate topic for today's holiday. A lot of the omens I came across are things like, if this happens, then death will happen. Or if you experience this thing, a corpse will cross your path in a certain amount of time, two weeks, a day, a month, within the year, things like that. This episode is going to contain a lot of lists of omens, but I did stumble across some fantastic deep dives into Appalachian death omens, and a lot of those do tie to similar omens you see throughout the world and other cultures. Before we get started, I do want to thank a couple people for helping me with the research for this month's episode. First and foremost, I'd like to thank Dr. Ed Karshner, who I've mentioned before in earlier episodes. He gave me a link to the Frank C. Brown Collection of North Carolina Folklore. This was a document I'd worked with before on a different podcast when I was doing research, and it completely slipped my mind. The link he sent me has 677 pages of wonderful omens relating to things like weather, death, husbandry, planting, cooking, things like that. I'm going to include a link in the show notes that you guys can look at in the future. I really do hope that you get a chance to peruse that. It's one of those things you can just go on hours and hours and hours of rabbit holes looking at a particular phrase and then various iterations from around Appalachia and around the country. I also wanted to thank my friend Ashley Ann Masters for sending me the link to Beth Hudson's article, 64 Death Omens, Real or Folklore? I'm going to include this link as well. I did a deep dive off of this website looking into owls and beetles that will come up shortly here. It's another one of those websites that just has like lists of death omens. But when you start looking into them deeper and deeper, much like the Frank C. Brown collection, you can see links to other omens throughout the world and throughout Appalachia and and strange links that you will very quickly want to dive deeply into. I should probably also take this time to include a bit of a trigger warning. As the title suggests, I will be talking about death. I do have a couple of friends who have been dealing with the death in their own lives, uh, family members and friends. If that's something that you are uncomfortable with, if you've been experiencing enough of it, then perhaps this episode is not for you. Infant death omens is another thing that will come up because obviously infant mortality rate was a huge concern back in the day in Appalachia. That topic will also be addressed, though I'm going to try to keep it as minimal as possible. I give you my deepest sympathies and condolences and will not be at all upset if you decide to skip over this episode. Now, with all the housekeeping done, I believe it is time to start talking about some Appalachian death omens. The first one I would like to talk about is the death crown. It is a crown of feathers found inside the pillow of a deceased person. Hosts Shane and Melody of the YouTube channel Real Appalachia have an amazing video about this that I will also include in the show notes. As mentioned in the video, a person would have slept on this pillow and then they would be lying in state the family during the wake and the pillow would then pass on to another person and that person would find a hard clump inside the pillow. 
when they pulled the clump out, it was this beautiful ring of feathers where the, the quill is facing in, and then the, the plume forms a ring that was seen uh, as a sign that the person who had passed had received their eternal crown in some places. However, if it was found in the pillow of someone who was still living, who was not sick or expected to be passing, it was considered an omen of death for that person. It was also seen as a curse, as something that may have caused that person to pass away. Something the host of the Real Appalachia channel seemed a little confuzzulated about was how those things could form inside the pillows. And this isn't, you know, bless your heart or boy, you sure are pretty. You know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And it got me thinking too, because their confusion inspired me to do a little extra research. Raising chicken and geese back in the day wasn't anything like it is on big farms today that produce feathers for pillows. You know, you maybe had a few chickens and a few head of geese, maybe some turkeys, some ducks. Those feathers, when you did kill a chicken or a chicken died, don't produce as many feathers as you think they might. So when you make a pillow early on in a child's life, that pillow tends to stay with them for their entire life. And you would add extra feathers to it when you could. But there's also a family. That could be a family of 3, 4, 15, 16 people. And those feathers get sparse pretty quick. So a pillow would be with a person for a very long time. And a pillow would pass from person to person if they moved out, if they passed away. And over time, the pillow is going to collect things like mites and sweat and dirt and grime. And all of that will cause things to lock together and clump. The end result, after decades of fluffing and stuff in the pillow, the motion, the aforementioned grody flimflam, are these beautiful death crowns. I mentioned lying in state here within the death crown section. This is the act of putting the body out for the family and friends of the community to view to pay their respects. Death was then, as it is seen today, a very communal event. Friends, family, and folks from around the hollow would all chip in to assist the grieving family in the funerary rites and practices, whether it be digging the grave, cooking food, building the casket, or staying up with the body until the funeral. And by staying up with the body, I do mean staying up with the body. There would be somebody there all hours of the day and night keeping vigil for the recently deceased whether it be community members, family, friends, cousins from the big city, what have you. In Jewish communities, this is called sitting shiva. On the day of the funeral, the burying of the recently deceased or throwing handfuls of dirt upon the grave was reserved for friends. Next, I'd like to look at the Frank C. Brown collection of North Carolina folklore and the sections there for certain specific death omens. In the section titled Infants, Children, Stars, Prenatal Influences, and Drowning, for the mother to drink much water before the baby is born may drown it. The first time a child is ever carried out in the open air, you must not cross water with him. If you do, he will drown before reaching maturity. In the section, Naming, Physical Activity, Care of Child, if several children in a family die, the next one must be named Clay. It is sure to live. Never measure the length of a baby under a year. It will be measured for its coffin before the year is over. This is one I've heard before in the section Animals and Plants. A cat should not be left in the room with a sleeping baby, for it might suck the baby's breath and kill it. In the section titled Adults is another one I heard growing up. Deaths do not come singly. If one member of a family dies, a second death in the same family will come within a year. Death, having found his way to a certain household, 
is more likely to arrive a second time. Also, if anyone calls your name and you answer, or go to sea and no one has called you, you are going to die. The spirit of your dead father or mother or some other deceased relative has called you. So, if you are called, do not answer. I found some really interesting stuff in the section titled Death Bell Singing Noises. There's a lot about that ringing in your ear that you get when there's a pressure change. It's not necessarily tinnitus or tinnitus, but that ringing you get that you really can't explain. It's called the death bell and is said to be the ringing of the death bell for either you or a loved one. And the direction the ear you hear the ringing in is pointed is the direction of the person for whom the death bell is ringing. And the person that omen is directed towards changes based on which way your head is pointing, when you're hearing the ringing of the bell, the time of day, the time of season. Also, in that section, if you hear singing or music in the night, it is the token of someone's death. Now, a little peek behind the curtain of your humble host here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. My beautiful significant other has been hearing music in the middle of the night. And normally I would chalk that up to apophenia. That's the idea that we as humans try to find patterns in things and it helps our brain deal with the real world. And so when you have white noise like the fan we have going in the bedroom, your brain will pick out patterns in the white noise to help it understand what's going on in that chaos. But this has been happening over and over again. She says it sounds like muffled radio in a different room, but it's getting closer and closer. And me, in my fairy folklore research fascination, knows that the other crowd, or the little people, or the gentry, like to play music at night. And while you can hear it, you should never join in the playing of or dancing to fairy music. So I don't rightly know what it is. Is it stone tape? Is it ghosts? Is it fairies? Stay tuned to find out. But I want to touch on bells right quick just before we move on. Tipper Presley, who writes for and owns the website Blind Pig and the Acorn, writes of a memory she has from her grandfather growing up. She writes, When Pap was a boy, one of the first things to happen after someone died was the tolling of the bell. The church bell was rung to notify the community someone has died. Traditionally, each ring represented a year the deceased person had lived. Ringing out the years of life helped folks figure out who had passed away. In some areas, folks who lived too far away to hear the bell were notified by a letter sealed in an envelope that was edged in black. Continuing on with the interesting Frank C. Brown collection, I have uh, the common, when you shiver without a cause, someone is walking where your grave will be. That's also changed in and out with various animals, a rabbit, a fox. Someone crossing over your grave is the cause for that shiver. If you've ever dreamed of teeth, those nasty nightmares where all your teeth are falling out, that's very common as well as an omen of death. Dreaming of teeth or losing teeth, pulling teeth, usually means that you, a relative, or a friend will die. The front tooth is a loss of a relative. A jaw tooth is death of a friend. Pulling teeth is death of your best friend. And if you've ever dreamed of a naked person, that's also in there. If you dream of a naked woman or a man, then the opposite gender will die, which kind of covers everybody all of the time. So I guess just don't dream of naked people and then everyone will live. I found another very interesting one in the section titled Sleep Beds. I reached out to the folklore community on Twitter for some answers here, 
If you wake in the morning with the death mold, yellow spots, on your hand, it is a sign that a dead man has shaken hands with you. Now, I could not find out for the life of me what death mold is or yellow spots. I reached out, like I said, to the folklore community on Twitter, and what I found were answers more like mottled skin, where the lack of oxygen in the blood due to the failing heart will turn spots on your hand a bluish purple. But these spots are listed here in this omen as being yellow. And I could not find anything on the Google box that describes what this death mold may be as it pertains to yellow spots on a dying individual's hands. If you have any information as to what this might be, please do reach out because it's been tickling my brain for a while and I'd like to be able to sleep. Washing is another one that came up with a lot of fascinating death omen folklore. So washing clothes on New Year's Day between Christmas and New Year's or between Old Christmas and New Christmas will bring death. Also on Michaelmas and Ascension. According to folklore, if you wash clothes on New Year's Day, you'll be washing for the dead or washing a loved one away, meaning someone in your household will die in the coming year. Get your laundry washed, dried, folded and put away by New Year's Eve. A green winter or hot Christmas means a fat graveyard. A green Christmas means a full graveyard. Cold Christmas means a lean graveyard. A warm new Christmas means a warm graveyard for young folks, while a warm old Christmas means a warm graveyard for old folks. In the section sewing, apparently you are not supposed to sew on Ascension which, for my non-Christian listeners, is 40 days after Easter. If you do so, you will be struck by lightning. If you are to make a garment for yourself on Ascension, the first time you wear it, you'll be struck by lightning. I wanted to look into why lightning and why sewing on Ascension, so I looked at Charlotte Riggle's website, and she writes, Many believed that when Christ ascended, the sky was blessed, and so all water that falls from the sky on Ascension is blessed. In some areas, people collected rainwater that fell on Ascension Day, believing that it would heal the sick. But you weren't supposed to do laundry with it. Work of any sort was thought to be unlucky on this day. In particular, washing clothes was a bad idea. Some even said that if you did laundry on Ascension, someone in the family would die. And just as you couldn't wash clothes, you couldn't make or mend them. Clothing that had been touched by a needle on ascension was thought to attract lightning. Apparently, though, fishing doesn't count as work. In some places, ascension is considered the start of the fishing season. However, in the past, rivers and lakes were considered particularly dangerous on the ascension, according to old folk beliefs. You are more likely to drown on this day than any other day. So why lightning and rain? Well, obviously there, the rain is blessed because of Jesus' ascension into heaven. I'm assuming the sewing is problematic because of the piercing the needle, maybe the crown of thorns or the nails. I'm not rightly certain, but there you have it. Owls, too, play a huge part in death omens. One, because they're creepy sounding, but also because they are nocturnal and, of course, all bad things and death-related things happen at night. If you are dreaming of owls, that means impending death for yourself or those close to you. Hearing an owl hoot on your rooftop could mean a death in the household is imminent. If you hear a screech owl in the evening, you will hear of a death in two weeks. If you hear a screech owl around a house where there is a sick person, it is a sign of death. If you want to ward off death after this, take two sticks and cross them in the fire, putting salt on them. Or if you put a shovel in the fire, the owl will stop. Similarly, 
If the people in the house put salt on the fire to burn the tail of the bird sitting on the chimney, or turn a pair of shoes upside down under the bed, or would turn clothes inside out, the owl would stop hooting and fly away. Back to fairies, if you are pixie-led or you happen to get stuck in a fairy ring, turning your clothes inside out will help you escape the fairy's glimmer. And that's the type of additional fairy folklore you can come to expect here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. But I digress. In the book Superstitions, a handbook of folklore, myths, and legends from around the world by D.R. McElroy, there is a short section on the Owl Monster Woman from the Yakima tribe, an indigenous tribe here in North America. The Yakima India Reservation is a Native American reservation in Washington State of the federally recognized tribe known as the Confederated Tribes and Bands of the Yakima Nation. The tribe is made up of Klickitat, Paulus, Walla Walla, Wanapam, Wenatachi, Wishram, and Yakima peoples. The legend goes, these monsters eat the world's vermin, snakes, rats, lizards, etc., but unfortunately enjoy the tasty flesh of human children the most. The monsters are considered extremely dangerous, as the owl is the harbinger of death. Tales of other owl-like creatures abound, including the Apache Big Owl, the man-eating ogre, and the southwestern La Luchusa, which has often seen before some unfortunate luck befalls the one who saw it. Similarly, if birds fly into your windows, if birds fly into your house, those are also omens of death very common in this region, and I believe throughout the world. I want to finish up with one I found really, really cool called the Death Watch Beetle. I pulled that one off of the 64 Death Omens by Beth Hudson that I mentioned before. The Death Watch Beetle, as I quote Wikipedia, is a type of beetle that can damage wooden furniture and structures of buildings. They hit their heads against the wood to attract mates, and this can cause a tapping noise at nighttime. Before this was explained, it was seen as a bad omen. The Death Watch beetle is a species of wood-boring beetle that sometimes infests the structural timbers of old buildings. The adult beetle is brown and measures about 7 millimeters or a third of an inch long. The larvae bore into timber, feeding up to 10 years before pupating, and later emerging from the wood as adult beetles. Timber that has been damp and is affected by fungal decay is soft enough for the larvae to chew through. However, infestation of these beetles is often limited to historic buildings because modern buildings tend to use soft woods for joists and rafters instead of aging oak timbers, which the beetles prefer. As I just said, to attract mates, the adult insects create a tapping or ticking sound that can sometimes be heard in the rafters of old buildings on summer nights. Therefore, the Death Watch Beetle is associated with quiet, sleepless nights and is named for the vigil, or watch, being kept beside the dying or dead. By extension, there exists a superstition that these sounds are an omen of impending death. You will also hear this death omen described as the sound of a ticking clock coming from the wall or piece of furniture. The English writer, physician, and naturalist Thomas Brown attempted to correct misconceptions about the Death Watch Beetle as an omen of death in his Encyclopedic Catalog of Common Errors, Pseudodoxica Epidemica. He writes, Few ears have escaped the noise of the Death Watch, that is, the little clicking sound heard often in many rooms, somewhat resembling that of a watch, and this is conceived to be of an ill omen or prediction 
of some person's death, wherein, notwithstanding, there is nothing of rational presage or just cause of terror unto melancholy and meticulous heads. For this noise is made by a little sheath-winged gray insect found often in wainscot, benches, and woodwork in the summer. We have taken many thereof, and kept them in thin boxes, wherein I have heard and seen them work, and knacked with a little proboscis or trunk against the side of the box, like a picus martius, or woodpecker, against a tree. He that could extinguish the terrifying apprehensions hereof might prevent the passions of the heart and many cold sweats in grandmothers and nurses, who in the sicknesses of children are so startled with these noises." It is also mentioned in Keats' 1818 poem, Endymion. Within ye hear no sound so loud as when curtained beer the death watch tick stifled. In 1838, Henry David Thoreau published an essay mentioning the death watch beetle, and it is said that it is a possible influence for Edgar Allan Poe's 1843 story, The Telltale Heart. There's a really fun article where author Tim Floyd for Country Life mentions this theory. The title of it is should we fear the death watch beetle i'll include a link to that in the show notes as well the death watch beetle is also mentioned in mark twain's 1876 book the adventures of tom sawyer next the ghastly ticking of a death watch in the wall at the bed's head made tom shudder that meant that somebody's days were numbered so if you ever hear ticking from within the walls of your home or an old piece of furniture it might be a ghost it might be a fairy or it might be a death watch beetle or it might be an omen from beyond the veil, letting you know that you, or a loved one, might be next to die. And that's this month's episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast on Appalachian Death Omens. Last month I forgot to add my little folk remedy, folk cure tidbit at the end of my episode. I apologize for that, I'm still new to this, so please forgive me. And with that forgiveness, I'm going to ask for a little indulgence with this month's excerpt from Down Home Ways by Jerry Mac Johnson. This one's going to be a little longer than usual. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a picture of myself smoking my pipe on the front porch of my rocking chair and uh, sitting in my sweater and drinking some of my whiskey that I make. So what I have here is how to make a corn cob pipe. Self-sufficient old timers seldom spend money for things they could provide themselves. Corn cob pipe is an example of such thrift. To try your hand at making one, select a firm ear of corn having sufficient pith to be properly hollowed out. You will need to break several ears and examine their cross-section. In addition, choose one with ends that fit comfortably in your hand. When you have found the right cob, dry it. Now decide which of these ends better suits your hand. Some people prefer the pointed end. Snap off an appropriate length of the size of bowl you favor. A bowl of one and three quarter to two inches should be satisfactory. You may trim the break evenly, but this step is not essential. Using the bigger blade of your pocket knife, dig out the pith to an approximate depth of two inches. The next layer will be woody and hard. Because it will give strength to your pipe, be careful not to remove too much of it. The complete hole should have a diameter of one half to three quarters inch, depending on the cob size. Whether or not you believe the claim that a thicker bowl means a cooler smoking pipe, don't shave its outside walls. You'll like the rustic appearance and cushiony feel. The pipe stem can be made from the cornstalk by cutting the most slender part that's close to the top of the plant. An elder twig makes a good pipe stem too. Either can be hollowed out with a hot coat hanger wire. After piercing the stems, blow through them to force out any loose debris. A section of wild rice stalk, being naturally hollow, 
and provide a convenient stem. Cut the mouthpiece end directly above a joint in the reed. This strong area can be gripped between the teeth without concern about splitting the pipe stem. Cut the opposite end directly above a joint in the stock. A solid joint at the mouthpiece end is the only place you will need to ream out. Prepare the bowl end of the stem by cutting a flat slice, roughly one-third inch in length, from one side, forming a U-shaped opening. Make a hole in the wall of the bowl, just above the bottom of the hollowed-out area. This job can be best done with a twist drill having a diameter slightly smaller than that of the prepared pipe stem. Maintain the bit at a right angle to the pipe hole. Bore a full twist in one direction, followed by a half twist the opposite way. Work cautiously to keep the opening from becoming too large for the stem. After you have drilled clean through the bowl wall, insert the stem with the U-shaped opening uppermost. Firmly press the pipe stem for a snug fit. Be patient with your pipe for the first few smokes. Any pith remaining in the bowl will have to burn away, and the woody part will need to season a little. Then, too, it's always difficult to keep a new pipe lit. After two or three smokes, however, you should be able to settle back and puff with satisfaction on your homemade corncob pipe. I'd like to thank y'all again for stopping by and listening to this month's episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you have any death omens you've heard from your family throughout the years, you can go ahead and send them to me on social medias and through email. All that information is at the end of the show. I hope y'all get to enjoy this beautiful autumnal weather, and I'll be talking to you soon. Y'all be good. Thanks for spending your time with me here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you'd be so kind as to like, review, and subscribe to this show on whichever platform you use, I'd greatly appreciate it as it helps spread the word. And after all, isn't that what folklore is about? You can find the Appalachian Folklore Podcast on social media at AppFolklorePod. You can also email me with questions, comments, corrections, stories, recipes, etc. at AppFolklorePod at gmail.com. And you can visit my website, shows.acast.com AFP. Thanks to Jonathan Ochoa for the Appalachian Folklore Podcast cover art. The intro music is Stillness by Riviel. The outro music is I Can See the Sky by All Sever Lake. You can find all citations to the references mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.